This is all about wine on Blog Talk Radio, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009, featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Call our guest line at any time during the live show at area code 646-727-3235. And let's talk about wine. Again, the phone number to call is 646-727-3235. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. You know this this year has goes by so fast. I might I'm gonna have to updo that uh up, up make a two thousand nineteen version of that pretty soon. That's yeah, that's, I know. It's August you mentioned up August. Next week. Yeah, that's messed yeah. Up. so quick. Wow. Um here we are. Yeah. <laughs> uh the call in line. Six four six seven two seven three two three five. I have memorized. I do not have the host pin memorized, but I I know the the guest call in number by heart, and I would well, never I call in on the guest call in, but you know that's <laughs> you hear odd. <laughs> I hear it over and over again. I don't hear my host pin over. And over again. <laughs> yeah, I've been trying to memorize that host pin too, and I haven't memorized it yet. So. Well, it's only been nine years. Give it to give it a long <laughs> over nine years, about nine and a half now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just takes time. <laughs> That's all. Just takes time. That's right. <laughs> I'll get it eventually. You know, if I was a little kid trying to learn my phone number so I can tell the police if I'm lost, I would. Mm-hmm. I would, and you know, like uh, in the eighth, ninth grade, and I still wouldn't know that it was the number. I just, and it's just. <laughs> Like a phone number, number, but I'm just boy, I don't know. That thing just battles. I, I still me. remember, I still remember the home phone number from when I was in elementary school, and and yeah. I mean, it lasted through middle school, but I remember that. Like, like, how do I pull that up? So many years later. I mean, it's not that many years, but it, you know, how do I pull it up? It, it's you know, <laughs> everybody does. Everybody remembers their their elementary school number. I mean, you just ask anybody. What was the number, your phone number, when you were growing up? And I yeah. guarantee you, you're going to get everyone's going to answer. That's amazing. Yeah. But I don't, I don't think this generation now can do that years from now because we don't dial eight one three or or eight six three or whatever. We we dial, you know, Ron. Or, you yeah, know. you got a good point. Good. Point. What was Ron? Yeah. What was Ron's number? I mean, if I lose this oh. phone and somebody says, "Hey, call uh, your." You know, whoever I'd go. Uh, wow, there's no there around here. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I, and I'm the I just, same way now too. Yeah, you're right. I think most people just don't know it anymore. I was I was when I was growing up. I had the old uh, name. You know, Gladstone. Gladstone two o seven one four was my phone number. Oh, and, yeah, I remember uh, those like words yeah. with the words in, in the beginning of the phone. With number. the words in. Ours it, was, yeah. Then it became. 
Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I think ours was like California or some kind of. It was a state. It was. Uh, oh really? Was California, yeah. California CA six or something. It was something stupid. I go, where'd that come from? I forgot what it was. Yeah. But uh, it was some state abbreviation, and and they just call it, you know, call California six. It's really, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine's no glass, all right. GL GL two oh seven one the Gladstone was was it yeah so I remember that and we had the party line too you know everyone the people that were on our party line hardly ever used it which was good because you know between my two sisters and I we were on the phone a lot but uh, um, every once in a while we pick up the phone make a call and people would be talking go, oh sorry <laughs> <laughs> it was the early version early version of chatting. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> back in the day. really, really back in the day, chat. <laughs> That's when people actually called other people. They, you know, went out yes. and, uh, yeah, I remember that. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I, had to, I had to stop and make a phone call. You couldn't just make me, had to, I had to stop and make a phone call. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, well. Ah. Yeah. Well, reminiscing. Oh well, <laughs> reminiscing. You know, back in the day. Yeah, back in the day, and it all started because I can't remember this bloody host pin number. I swear, I'm having a hard time. <laughs> well, uh, uh, when I do rise up, I have a party. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah. Oh well. So we have uh, a couple of topics. Uh, some of the, the the main topic that I had on it was just the general you know news and information updates that uh, that kind of changed now because we got a, a an actual you know couple of topics that's not general generalized I guess so uh, we'll get into yeah. that and uh, so that did kind of change but um, um, we're going to start the okay. show and uh, over there yeah so if you're listening to an archives don't call in. Because this is 7-26-2018, and we are live at 7-06 East Coast. Mm-hmm. So, speaking of East Coast, let me West Coast. Let me pull up my fire tracker here. Uh, this is, if you want to follow along with the uh, radio guy, WX Shift W X S H I F T dot com uh, is the uh, it's a tracker for wildfires in the United States. And largest fire burning right now is 78,425 acres. And there are 84 large fires currently burning in the United States. Last week, if you remember, I think there was like 52 or 48 or something like that. We've got 84. Um, but the map of the United States shows smoke covering a big, big chunk of the United States and really heavy up into Canada. And it has, that's one of the things it shows on this map is the smoke. Unbelievable. It wasn't nearly this bad uh, last week, but it's smoked really bad. Fires. uh, We've got them all over the uh, western part of the United States. Now you've probably seen the reports and all that. Flooding in the east, but this is the fires in the west. And there's one in Oklahoma, the Brushy Creek Fire, which is only 775 acres. A couple of them in uh, Texas. Uh, Texas named their fires just by numbers, 259 and uh, 108. But, and there's also one up in uh, South Dakota, uh, the Abir 
far. There is some, well, let's see, where is it? I uh, have, huh, I can't find it right now. Um, well, that's not not on that. Um, there are some fires hitting outside of Napa. What is that? I know I have that here, and I can't find it here. Okay, that's the wildfire tracker. That's uh, that's that. Let's look on this and see if it's here, because. I was going to tell you about it. Uh, oh, yeah, here it is. Okay. Uh, mentioning the fires, the western part of the country is the one that's really hurting right now. There's nearly 3,000 firefighters uh, on Monday that uh, continue to fight fires along the California-Oregon border. And uh, there's the uh, the big one is the Klamathan, K-L-A-M-A-T-H-O-N, Klamathan fire, which has already burned 36,500 acres. They're saying that's starting to become under control, uh, about 45% contained, 40 to 50% contained. It is outside, uh, there are fires outside of Napa, uh, where is it? I just had the. Uh, there it is. Oh, as of Tuesday, the state's largest incident was the county fire uh, in Yolo County, which is east of Berryessa in Napa County. And the blaze has charred about 91,000 acres, was about 80% contained. And all the evacuations have been lifted. Uh, there is no damage to vineyards anywhere across the western states. There are some that are closed. Most of the smoke has been going away from vineyards, so there's no incident of smoke in the vineyards, which we've talked about how smoke taint can affect the, the grapes and all that. Uh, check past episodes, and uh, there are some some uh, stuff we've talked about, smoke paint. But as of right now, uh, no vineyards are being threatened, no vineyards are, have burned. There has obviously been a lot of structures that have been burned. Quite a few structures have been burned on these fires out west. Uh, just uh, an unbelievable amount of damage to structures and different things throughout the western part of the country. So, as these things continue, if any of them do start affecting vineyards, I will keep you informed of that. But as far as anything I've seen or read or anything I've talked to anybody, there has been no problems with the fires affecting vineyards. So uh, as far as being all about wine, we try to keep on top of that. And... Oh, bit of trivia. Always got to do our trivia thing here. Among all white grapes, four are known as the aromatic varieties. These are the four that, not surprisingly, has effusive, sometimes even hypnotic aromas. 
especially aromas suggestive of fruits, flowers, even perfume. Interestingly, in ancient Greece, highly aromatic white varieties were prized above all others, for their aromas were thought to promote sound thinking and a healthy brain. The four aromatic varieties are Riesling, Muscat, Fournier, and Gewürztraminer. So, just to... Uh, uh, let you know about that. Um, and something else here. I last year, and I know I did. I talked about the about ice cream, the top ten favorite ice cream flavors, and we also talked about new ones coming out. And at the time, they were talking about bringing out vegetable flavored ice creams, and Mike and I had our bit of conversation about that, I know. But top 10 flavors of ice cream has nothing to do with wine, but again, this is fun. Vanilla, number one. Chocolate, number two. Cookies and cream, number three. Number four, mint and chocolate chip. Number five, chocolate chip cookie dough. Six, buttered pecan. Seven, just regular cookie dough. Eight, Strawberry. Strawberry's way down to eight. That really surprised me when I read this. And moose track number nine and Neapolitan, which I don't know because that's just chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. But Neapolitan is number 10. It says, while vanilla continues to reign supreme, chocolate flavors dominate the four top-selling ice cream flavors. So obviously, cookies and cream, mint chocolate chip, and chocolate chip cookie dough. So those are all the chocolate. Top five flavors may be classics, but that does not mean they have not evolved. Today's innovative ice cream makers are giving many of these traditional flavors creative spins. This includes offering them in the high-protein, low-sugar formulations. Ben & Jerry's, for example, the brand that created the first cookie dough ice cream back in 1984, now offers three new dough original flavors. Off the block dough, uh, off the dock, not block, dock. Dough is chocolate chip and chocolate ice cream with chocolate chip cookie dough and chocolate chip cookies. PB dough bowl Doble chocolate is dark and melt chocolate ice cream with peanut butter cookie dough and swirls of peanut butter cookie butter. Cinderella is cinnamon and caramel ice cream with cinnamon bun dough, shortbread cookies, and oatmeal cinnamon cookie swirls. Oh my gosh, your mouth would go crazy trying to distinguish all those. At IDFA's annual ice cream technology conference held in April, several fun and fruity flavors of ice cream captured the attention of the judges. The winning flavor innovation included Brazilian guava cheesecake, spicy mango raspberry, and get this, pomegranate sweet potato. There you go. Those are the ice creams that are out there that are available, and that's what's happening. You can see why people are staying with the top ten and all this stuff like that out there. I'm sure there's a market for those, but ooh. Got an 
email from a listener, one that's been with us quite often, actually, uh, Rusty. I've met Rusty. He doesn't live too far. He visited me at the winery before it's closed. And he uh, mentioned that, yay, advertising might be a good idea. He's surprised we haven't done it by now. And he also said that he was laid up with a shoulder injury, and he wanted to know about alternatives to corkscrews. And I thought, well, what's a good good topic to cover a little bit tonight? Let's talk about ways to open a wine bottle and corkscrews. Why? Let's start with the cork type of corkscrews. You can now there there's lots of them out there, and there's I had a guy come into the winery. Oh wow. Six years ago. Yeah, had to be six years ago. And he was a corkscrew collector. And he said, let me show him. And he came back a few days later with three great big boards of corkscrews that he had mounted on there. Oh, wow. What a fascinating hobby he had. He had corkscrews from... Many, many years ago, he had them from around the world. He had different types, had them all mounted on the board. He had different ones where it was just a screw with different types of handles, all sorts of different handles. And it was really cool. Um, neat, neat hobby and a neat display that he had set up there. He, he brought in three to show me. He said three of his unique ones, but he said he had like four or five more at home um, that he had mounted and all that, but really pretty cool. I guess there's a market out there for corkscrew collectors because he, he talked about trading them and all that. But different types of corkscrews. You've got the handles corkscrew, which is the big ones that you mount on the table and you pull the handle down, you clamp the wine bottle underneath, and you pull the handle down, and you pull the handle back up, and it pulls the cork out. And then you remove the bottle, and then you put the handle down and squeeze the lever again, and then pull the handle back up, and the cork pops off the screw. Uh, you find these a lot in big bars and stuff. I had one at the winery set next to the winery. Trouble is, it kept getting in the way. We would bump into it. We broke it a couple of times, fixed it, put it back together, bumped it again. So finally, we decided just to remove it because it was really, really... Uh, always getting beat up a lot so we we had to move it but very popular anywhere from two hundred dollars down uh you can get some real nice ones go to if you're interested a wine enthusiast catalog has a whole bunch of different tabletop type corkscrews then there's the classic what they call the waiter's corkscrew or the sommelier corkscrew which is the little thin ones that you see uh, that you carry in your pocket. It's got the the screw, the lever, the foil cutter on, on uh, the little knife so you can cut the foil on it. Uh, some of them have a little hinge on the part that you put in um, put on the neck uh, so you can hinge it around, which is always nice and easy to do. And then you've got, uh, uh, you know, the thin wear in the pocket. Careful with those, though. I noticed, though, if you're going out and get yourself a waiter's corkscrew, be sure that it fits in your hand easily and that it doesn't hurt. There are some of them out there that are actually too thin, 
and they tend to, as you're pulling up on it, hurts the hand. Uh, there was a couple at the winery that uh, we sold, that uh, we bought and sold, and I quit buying them. I just didn't like the way they worked. But those are the waiter's pork screws. There's also some very uh, simple ones, just a screw mounted onto a piece of wood, which is muscle or just the type that we that you'll see at a lot of different places they sell with their name on it, where you pull the corkscrew out of the little tube and put the little tube into the handle so you have yourself leverage and you screw it in and pull it out. It takes a little bit of muscle, but they work, and they work very well. So that's another method. There is also the rabbit. I'm sure you all heard that. Uh, if you haven't, it is, well, it looks like a rabbit. It's got the little... Uh, top ear on the thing, got a little bottom ear. What you do is you open up the lever, you put the bottle in the lever, you lower the top part of the lever down into the cork, and holding the, the bottle tight, and lift it back up, and it pops the cork right out. Remove the bottle, squeeze it back together, put it down again, and again, you pull the cork right out of it with no problem. There is uh, a problem with the rabbit, though. If you take time to read, most of them have instructions on it that says, do not use it on synthetic corks. Now, that means that if you've got a cork, great. But if you're starting to use it a lot on these plastic and rubber and all these different types of alternatives they have for corks out there, the screw, the, the the screw part will lose the coating, the Teflon coating it has on it, and one day you go to put the thing down in there and it just mangles it. And I've done it before. I believe me, I'm speaking from experience on that one. Also, it will just mangle it. So be sure you use use it if you want to keep it for a long time. And most of them come with two screws anyway, so. You, know, you can replace it, and you can buy substitute or replacement screws for almost all of them. I think they run, you know, ten, fifteen dollars for a set of two. There is also, as another alternative, the champagne saber, which is just that the saber. Uh, it's uh, sets on a little rack, you pick the thing up and you hold the champagne bottle in the hand and you take the saber and you go whack and you knock off a little bit of the head along with the champagne cork and the thing flies off and you've got your champagne. It takes practice. Don't do it until you practice. And then it's really sort of cool if you have people over on New Year's Eve, and you say, watch this, and you can pull out your saber and slice off the lid or the top of the champagne bottle. Uh, again, Wine Enthusiast sells those, uh, $200, I think, something like that, with a little, little wooden thing to set it on. There are other types of corkscrews also. One that I particularly like called the, I always have called it the Asso. Uh, it's a two-pronged corkscrew. One side, uh, it's just a handle with two little prongs coming down. 
one side of the handle goes, or one side of the prong is a little bit longer than the other. The long side goes between the cork and the bottle. You work it down into there a little bit. You tilt the handle, put the other short side into the other side of the cork between the cork and the bottle, and you rock it down into the bottle. So it's down close to the, uh, so the handle's close to the uh, top of the cork. And then with the steady pressure, pull and twist, and you pull it right out. Easy, fast, convenient. I love it. I use my first two-prong or also, I've always called them. That's what they were first advertised as for some reason. I've used my also or two-prong corkscrew for years and years and years. Um, I always tell people when you first try to use it, you're going to hate it. You're going to push the cork down inside the bottle. You're going to throw the the two-prong into the drawer and say, this is a piece of garbage. I'm never going to use it again. But don't do that. Give it about 10 tries. By the 10th try, you're going to love it as much as you loved any of the others. So try that one. Then we've got the classic butterfly one or the uh, uh, winged one. Or, uh, well, there's, it goes by a few different names, a winged corkscrew or the, or the uh, lever corkscrew or any, any number of ways that they, they call them. This one you've all seen. You put the little round thing that goes over the top of the bottle. It has little wings. You pull the pull the wings up and you lower it down into it, lower both the sides down into it, and it puts a screw in there. And then you just pull it back up and it just slides right back up. And uh you just pull the cork right out. Uh simple, easy. A lot of people like that because it is so simple and easy. There's also different variations on the basic corkscrew. You've got the ones where you've got the um, the cork screw in the middle of two uh, housings, I guess it is, on either side of it. And it just sets on top of the bottle. You can just set it right there on top of the bottle and uh, uh, just screw the thing down in there. What people like about that is that there's never a problem of lining it up and pulling it out crooked or not getting it in right. It just it automatically lines up once you set it on top. Uh, got different names. Uh, uh, active ball is one. A pocket spindle, spin handle corkscrew and, and different, different names. These are just a couple I see here. But those work very well so you won't have to line up anything and you can just easily put it on there and screw it around with either hand. That's something Rusty might have considered too, is, is something along that line. Uh, the, uh, uh, ooh, well, here's a champagne saber that they're selling that's in a nice box and everything, $400. Oh, a little expensive just to show off to friends, I would think. But uh, those are all the, the classic corkscrews. But, but, and I'm sure there's lots of others you can think of. All of them have foil cutters of some type, or you can get a foil color cutter where you just cut the foils off, or you can just take a knife and slice it off. There's just all sorts of different ways to remove your foil. I see a lot of people who take a corkscrew 
and put it right on top of the bottle with the foil on there still and open the bottle right through the foil. I, I've never, I, to me, I, I don't like that because you never, the, the top of the foil is not made to be cut through and so it's not going to come apart easy. You're going to have this bits of foil leaning over the corkscrew and stuff like that. So I've never done that. I don't like it. I'd rather cut off the foil around the top or just remove the whole thing. Most PVC capsules, and those are the ones that you find, uh, uh, the PVC type capsules, have a little zip around it that you can pull the top of it off. That's really the best way to do it. If not, you can just cut the whole thing off. I mean, just slice it right down through or just tear it off or whatever. But I don't know, a lot of people I notice just cut right through the foil, and I'm going, oh, you know, that just seems odd. Um, so those are different types, but we don't always have a corkscrew available. Sometimes we get into a situation where we can't use a corkscrew or we don't have one available. Then what do you do? Excuse me. Well, I've got different ways you can open a bottle without a corkscrew. And this is one one of the things that Rusty wrote. He says, what do I do if I can't use a corkscrew? Well, same thing. If you, if you can't use a corkscrew, you've got different ways you can do it. All right. Uh, box line, you got it made. Screw caps. Not a problem. But if you need a corkscrew and you don't have one or you can't find it in the drawer or the last time you used it, you broke it and you never did fix it or any number of things like that and you never picked up a new one, then how are you going to open that bottle of wine? Well, I've got 10 different ways to do it. All right. Might need some tools. One thing you can do. Why is this not scrolling? Uh, one thing you can do is find your toolbox, grab yourself a screw, a screwdriver, and a hammer. Take the screw, stick it into the middle of the cork, then use the screwdriver to screw it down further. Then leave about an inch or so at the top. And take the hammer and use a claw hammer, not the head hammer. You're not going to pound it into it. Use the claw end of it and hook it into the claw and pull it out just like you're removing a nail. Now, I do have to point out, don't use the lever of the side of the bottle to pull it out. You will crack the bottle. You will pull little pieces of glass. You can even crack the whole neck off. I've seen that happen um, I, you know, over the years. I have to say I've, I've cracked the top of the necks of bottles before using different things I shouldn't. So be careful. Just don't use it. If you're unsure, wrap a towel around the whole thing and when you do it or something, but don't use the neck of the bottle to pull out the cork. Just use your muscles and pull it straight up and out. So it should pop just out that way. So that's one alternative. How about another simple way? Get yourself a wooden spoon, 
use the handle in and just pop the cork into the bottle. You know, obviously remove the foil covering. That's always step number one. As far as I'm concerned, step number one whenever you're going to do anything is get that foil off there. But just pop it down inside. Now, some people don't like that. Some people don't like the fact that there's a cork floating in their bottle. And sometimes you can't help it because some of the corks will act up. So how do you get a cork out of a bottle? Well, there's tools out there you can buy. In fact, we had one at the winery for a while. Just, you know, we picked the thing up to see if it was going to work and if we should carry it and do that. And actually, it did work. It was almost sometimes more hassle than it was worth, but it did work. But there is alternatives. Instead of doing that, use a string. Now, this is pretty simple. Take a string. You don't need a real fat one. don't need a cord, just a regular string. And tie a knot at the end of the string, about an inch from the very end. Take that piece of string with a knot end of it and dip it into the wine. Blow it in there. Below the neck, take the cork and tilt the bottle so the cork is up toward the neck. And it will naturally float to the top because that's what corks do. And that's one of the problems with putting the cork into the bottle is that as you're pouring it, it tends to float back up and block the flow. And so that's, it becomes quite irritating because you're always doing it. And if you're pouring fast, it'll block it in there tight, especially at the beginning. And then you got to pop it in again. But And if you do pop it in with a spoon or something, Put a towel around the neck. If not, it's going to splash, and you don't want it, especially red wines, you don't want to splash it on you. So, but bring the cork back up to the neck and be sure that the knot is below the cork. Then pull up on the string, and that's going to, as hard as you can, that will the knot will wedge against the neck of the bottle and the bottom of the cork, and then just pull it right on out. Just start yanking it right on out, and it will come right out. And if you don't want to grab it with your fingers and do that, and some people, you know, it could hurt. Wrap the string around the handle of the wooden spoon and pull it up that way but you can pop the cork right out that way. And it works. It's, it's very easy. It works that way. Um, might take you a couple times to get the hang of it, but very simple. So that's how you get the cork out of the bottle with the string. All right. Now, the next method, and you probably, if you have no tools or anything, wrap a bottle in a towel and then smack it. Now, I don't mean smack the side of the bottle. Cover the bottle on the towel, making sure the sides and bottom are wrapped. And then rhythmically bang the bottle's base against the wall or the floor or whatever, moving it in a horizontal motion. Okay, back and forth. Repeat until the cork starts coming out of the bottle. And just grab it with your fingers and pull it out. As long as the surface is sturdy, it's going to work. Uh, you know, if it's you don't want something that's soft, but long as something's sturdy, 
you can pull it right out. Be careful, again, wrapping the towel in case you hit it too hard or something. Bottles are pretty strong. You really shouldn't have too much of a problem, but do it that way. If you don't have a towel, you can take off your shoe and do it with your shoe. Put the bottle in the back heel of the shoe, and where the padding is, and start smacking the heel of the shoe against a hard uh, object with the bottle held tight against the shoe. And that will work also. If you don't want to use your shoe or if you have on, you know, your flip-flops, which seem to be very popular, you can use a book and take a book and hold it uh, on the wall and bang it against a book. That works also. Uh, and if you're outside on a picnic or something and you're out there reading poetry to your sweetie and you don't have a cork through, the book will work with a tree just as well as it will against the wall. So that's one way to do it. Or you can slap it out. You don't have to use a wall at all. If you're worried about damage to wall or door or your shoe or anything that you uh, are using, you can still get it out. Take a seat, place the bottle upside down between your thighs, hold it in place tightly, and I mean tightly, uh, or as evenly, and make it even at the bottom, facing up, and then start hitting it with your shoe or your hand or anything that's solid that's not going to shatter it. Heel of the shoe is probably the best, but you can hit it with anything. Yank the cork out with your hand once you see it sticking out far enough to grab. Actually, wait until it's a little over halfway. Anything less than halfway, it's really hard to grab the cork and pull it out. So wait until it's about halfway, and you can pull it out that way. This is always fun. Go out into the garage, grab yourself your bike pump, and pulling out with that. Now, there are all these alternatives out there. You can pump air. There's little things where you can stick the needle into the cork and you can hit the little cartridge and the air goes poof and the cork goes choom, and flies out of it. Same thing can be done with your bicycle pump. Put the little needle into the bicycle pump and start pumping in the air and the be sure the needle is below the level of the cork, though. You can't, it won't work unless you're down low enough. But the needles are usually long enough to do that. And just start pumping into it, and it will pump air into it, and the cork will come right out. So there's another alternative, using a bicycle pump. And, and, and I forgot to mention, too, that is another type of cork, that cork remover that they sell, is the type with the air cartridges. You stick the needle down inside it and you have this CO2 air cartridge and you pump it into it and it causes it to expand and pull the needle out or pull the cork out with the needle in it. So that's another time. Here is another way you can do it. If you don't have anything handy, you can do it with your car keys. Now this is interesting. Grab your car keys. Just one car key is all you need. You push your key at a 45-degree angle into the cork until the 
it's most of the key is into the cork. And at a 45 degree angle, you know what that is. You're not sticking it straight down the middle. You're not sticking it straight down the side. Just a 45 degree angle. And start turning the key in circles slowly while you are pulling up on it. And it will eventually loosen the cork and pull it out. Basically the same method as the two-prong method of the also uh, a little bit more difficult. It takes practice on that. I guarantee you it takes practice. I tried that, and it does take practice. It's after a couple, three times, you can do it as well as anything, but it does take a little bit of practice and a little bit of muscle. But that's an alternative just using your key. Same principle only just a little bit different, is using it a knife. If you don't have your keys with you or you have these big fat keys that some of the people carry with them, like the big car keys or something, you probably have a knife of some type in the drawer. Serrated edge is best, but you stick the knife in the cork and, again, at an angle, and then moving it in a twisting motion, and as you twist it, pull up, and the cork will begin to rise. Once you get it out a little bit, you can grab with your fingers and pull it the rest of the way out. But using a serrated knife is a lot easier than a straight knife. Straight knife will work, but serrated grabs the cork a little bit easier. And then another alternative is to hack it off. All right, if you have a machete or a sword or a saber or any type of thing, you can hack it off. Mostly used for champagne. It's not, you shouldn't be hacking off the top of a regular wine bottle because you're going to get glass everywhere and into the, the bottle and all that. Um, it's uh, a little bit tricky. It's called a sabrage or sabering. And it's, a, uh, a last resort if you don't have anything else. But it is sort of cool once you learn how to do it. Uh, it, it is pretty cool. Uh, when you are start savoring it, you can. Uh, it, it's pretty neat on champagne bottles and stuff. So uh, do that. There are videos out there. Alton Brown has a nice little short video showing you how to remove a champagne cork with a sword or a saber. Uh, so if you're really interested in that, check out Alton Brown's video. Or you can heat it up. Uh, this is if you have a cheaper bottle of wine, don't be getting a real expensive wine and do this. But you can heat it up. Uh, get a bottle of wine and you can put it in boiling water and the cork pop out that way, or you can take a lighter and put a lighter in the space, hold it again, remove the foil and the lighter in the space between the cork and the, uh, the cork and the capsule, and uh, I'm the cork and the wine, not the capsule, remove the capsule, and that will cause it to expand the air there and push the cork out that way also. So there's different alternatives. There bunch of 10 different ways you can can remove it. Uh, be careful though. On some of those, it's very easy to get glass in it. 
wine bottles are pretty steady. Now, you would be surprised how hard wine bottles are. They are pretty steady, but still be careful. If you're going to do any of these other methods, then uh, uh, don't be showing off to your significant other until you learn how to do it so you won't look like an idiot. Summer wines. Let's, let me find that and uh, tell you about that a little bit. Because there's uh what is this? Is this what I'm in here? Yeah, but not yet. Oh, let's go back to this. Uh, is it? Yeah, summer wines. Here's a list of some wines that you might not know, but are great summer wines. This is out of uh, Wine Folly. Yes, Wine Folly. You can subscribe to Wine Folly. It's a, it's a good site. It's a lot of fun. Wine Folly, W-I-N-E-F-O-L-L-Y, winefolly.com. 11 red summer wines you've never heard of. Um, vast majority of the people who drink wine uh, drink the red wines in the winter. It's just, you know, summer wines are for whites and winters for red, especially in Northern Hemisphere. Over 90% of search traffic around the topic of wine in the Northern Hemisphere for red wine happens from November to January. Wow. But you don't have to just stay in that period of time to enjoy red wine. So here's a list um, by Wine Folly of red wines for summer. First one on the list is, oh, wait a minute, qualities. Let me tell you what their qualities. Truthfully, you can drink whatever you want anytime you want. That's, you know, but certain qualities for hot weather. Here's what you're looking for when you come to the list. The Tastes great chilled. They have a little bit higher acidity, have a little bit lower tannin, lower alcohol, and they're a little bit lesser known with some great values. This That was their criteria to come up with this list. First one, Barbera. And that surprised me when I saw Barbera on the list, but it is sort of lesser known. I love a Barbera, so it wasn't like it was... Oh, my gosh, I never heard of that for me. I've drank Barbera for years, and I love it. Um, a little earthy, spicy style on the Barbera. Uh, peppery, licorice, uh, dried herbs, uh, real low tannin reds. If you're not familiar with Barbera, it's basically an Italian wine. You can find California Barberas. I tend to think I don't recall seeing Barberas from anywhere else in the country. California, Oregon, Washington. I've seen Barberas, but anything east, people growing Barberas east, I haven't seen it. So, if you know of any, let me know about Barbera. Very, very good food wine. A uh, red lighter. Next one, uh, Beaujolais. You've heard of Beaujolais. Uh, Beaujolais are very aromatic, lighter style. Violets, blueberry, uh, it makes you think of walking to a, a freshly potted greenhouse. Uh, you can get Beaujolais from the Beaujolais Cruise, but you can also pick them up from the Beaujolais Cruise that are cheap 
$20 a bottle or less. They are out there. You just need to look a little bit. And Beaujolais Nouveau is the one that most people are familiar with, but the Beaujolais throughout the year and everything, uh, just as good. Here's one I'd never heard of, Blaue Frankisch. Uh, Frankish, uh, B-L-A-U-F-R-A-N-K-I-S-C-H. Uh, it's an Austrian wine. Uh, it's uh, it's a little bit higher in alcohol, but uh, not not real high. It's it's they said low alcohol under a criteria, and it's a little bit higher. Great for barbecues. It's got a smoky, sweet, peppery, black fruit flavors to it. Um, camping, want something. Uh, Hungary is the common origin of this wine. Uh, very seldom will you find it in the United States. Uh, if you uh, find it from Hungary, you're going to see it labeled as Kink Frankos. Kink Kink or Kek, Kek, K-E-K-F-R-A-N-K-O-S. And it's going to be around $15, $17 a bottle, which is really reasonably priced um, for the wine. Never heard of it, though. Sinsoul, C-I-N-S-A-U-L-T, a uh, very flowery wine. Uh, smells like a bunch of uh, fresh red berries in a blender. Uh, you know that smell. Uh, nice acidity. Um, good balance. The aromas come out as uh, rosy, uh, red fruit flavor, and all that. Uh, just uh, something interesting. You can find it in all around. If you got to look for it a little bit, though, it's not like, oh, here's some, here's some, here's some. So look for it. Next one I've never heard of. This is Frappato. Or Frappato? Frappato. F R A P P A T O is a fruity, leathery style. Uh, it's from Sicily. And one that's not really talked about a lot. It, uh, it's got some raspberry and candied orange flavors in it with a little soft leather wrapping. Low tannins, easy for drinking, uh, which this says here almost too easy. Uh, it's the perfect glamping wine. And let's look what they mean by glamping. They got a little thing here. Uh, see what glamping, I guess. Uh, oh, glamping. Alcohol while camping. Okay. Glamping. Uh, so that's what they mean by glamping lines. Taking on you while you're, while you're out. Uh, okay, glamping wine. Next one is Lambrusco Secco. Lambrusco Secco. You've heard of Lambrusco. And this is a fruity. Secco means dry. So Lambrusco Secco is basically a drier style. Uh, they are comparing it here to an equivalent to iced black coffee. You could technically drink it out of the bottle, but when it's poured into a glass, it, it jumps out with the aromas of fresh blueberries, sour cherries, hibiscus, and rhubarb with a creamy, bubbly finesse. Lambrusco Secco. Uh, I believe you're going to really need to look in the Italian section for that, too. There's another one I've not heard of. 
Norello Muscalis. That's spelled N-E-R-E-L-L-O. And then Muscalis, M-A-S-C-A-L-E-N-C-E. This is another one from Sicily. And this is probably one of the reasons why I haven't heard it. I'm not up on my Sicilian wines. A gritty texture grown uh, in the uh, region of Mount Etna, the uh, a volcano in Sicily. It uh, is uh, listed in John Zaba's Volcanic Wines, and it's described as full of all cherry, sour cherry, and currants. So, uh, with plenty of savory herbal and tobacco notes. Sounds interesting. But Norello Mescalis. Next one, Pulsard. Or Pulsard is French, so maybe the D is not pronounced. Uh, P O U L S A R D. Uh, fruity, earthy one. Pinot? No, it's a Pulsard. A thin skin grape from. Arbol France it makes for a rustic garnet colored wine. They say it contains flavors of mushroom, raspberry, dragon fruit, and strawberries, and it's distinctly French. A lovely light alcohol red. Uh, they are quite rare though, so you need to search for it. But if you do find one, it is worth the search. Next one. Is a a shavia a shivia or shivia? I don't know how this person now. C H S C H I A V A. This is from northern Italy. It is uh, it, it, another Pinot Noir alternative, if you will. It's, a, it's lighter, fruitier, uh, very floral. Flavors and taste, rose petals, uh, and uh, strawberries, and a little cotton candy. They're saying here in the in the nose, uh, an awesome wine, uh, great for picnics. Uh, Shaiva, Shaiva, I don't know, uh, an Italian wine. Next one, Valpicella. Uh, Valpicella is been around for a long time. Uh, the perfect Volpicello, or basic as in not $100 Amarone, tastes like chocolates and cherries got rolled together and into a bucket of oregano and cinnamon. And this is their description, not mine. Um, but if you're camped out, it is a nice little wine. Volpicello Repasso has more chocolatey notes, and it's really uh, a fruity, earthy wine that... Uh, can be chilled and tastes excellent, slightly chilled. And then the last one for summer wines, which enjoy, is the Zweigelt. Zweigelt? Uh, it's pronounced, or spelled S, uh, I'm sorry, forget the S. Z-W-E-I-G-E-L-T, Zweigelt. Uh, this is uh, Austrian wine. Sweet and sour explosions of red berries that finish on a spicy note. Uh, they said it's got a touch of carbonation, which makes them one of the most quenching red wines out there. 
it pairs well with cycling adventures and and hiking and stuff like that. So, ten wines you can try. Look for this summer red wines that aren't just your standard whites for the summer that so many of us are so used to. These are some nice reds that uh, make for. Let's see what is this? Oh. Yes, uh, living reds. Okay. Um, before we close, I have a survey I found here. Let me get pull up that survey. This was interesting, and I'll, I'll tell you about the surveys and other things I was going to talk about, but they're not critical. Oh, I was going to tell you about Nova Scotia. Let me talk about that, and I'll tell you about the survey also. Nova Scotia had a freeze, had a freeze late in the year. And this article just came out here, and I was telling Mike about it before the program, and I was thinking it was on July that this happened, but it was June that it happened. Uh, I was thinking around July 3rd and 4th, but it was June 3rd and 4th, which is still pretty late in the year. Uh, growers across the four provinces that comprise the area known as the Atlantic Canada, were stunned by the blast of cold weather, which came two days after temperatures exceeded 80 degrees Fahrenheit on June 3rd. That night, they saw an overnight temperature dip below freezing. Then on the morning of June 4th, temperatures fell to less than 29 degrees Fahrenheit at the weather station in Kentville. It uh, was, without doubt, a record for that day and an historic event and affected not just the grape industry, but all fruit growers in that region of Canada. Uh, can you imagine uh, you know, 29 degrees on, on June the 4th? It's just unprecedented. All vineyard folks are still assessing the damage, says the... Uh, uh, Jerry McConnell, who is uh, owner of Prince of uh, Benjamin Bridge, uh, a uh, winery in the Gasparo Valley, uh, just west of Halifax, he said, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but everyone is trying to be positive and working hard to work with what they have. said the effects could last longer than a year. Um, there will likely be stunted cane growth of the current year and at least one vineyard, which means that it will reduce the harvest and possibly affect it for next year because the cane's going to have to be regrown in areas. Uh, it's uh, the uh, On the plus side, weather conditions in the first couple of weeks following the freeze warmed up, and the past week uh, after it passed, hit temperatures exceeding 85 degrees Fahrenheit. The province has supported new plantings uh, through a four-year, $12 million program, and it is up from, it's up to 1,000 acres, up from 700 acres uh, as today. So they are looking at supporting it and getting new plants into the ground and new uh, grapevines growing in there. A lot of them are looking at plowing under some of the areas because it hit it so severely. And they are hoping that 
maybe it will recover some. So the historic frost uh, on June the 4th, morning of June the 4th, uh, hit the Nova Scotia region of wines there. Next is a survey. I saw this survey, and I'll tell you about this. We'll end about That's not what I wanted. Uh, this survey is sort of cool. This is... Uh, well, let me give you the stats on this survey instead of just trying to, to paraphrase it a little bit here. It says the Cameron Hughes wine, which is the number one best-selling online wine brand that bottles fine wines from around the world into lots for a fraction of the price, released results of its inaugural wine drinking habits survey. Okay, Cameron Hughes Wine. Now, if you're interested in finding that, C-A-M-E-R-O-N, Cameron Hughes, H-U-G-H-E-S, wine.com. Uh, Check that out. But according to the survey of 1,032 consumers they pulled in June, wine turns women on more than men. Well, guys, we knew that, didn't we? Women, 18%, are twice as likely to get in the mood after drinking wine compared to only 9% of men. So it is an aphrodisiac, guys, you know. Wine and chocolate, there you go. Additional survey insights include pour one out for parents. Parents drink more wine after having children, 22%, than they did pre-kids, 18%. Well, (laughs) does that surprise us? And parents with children older than 12 years old, 15%, drink more than parents of grade schoolers, who only drink 3%, or parents of babies and toddlers, who drink 4%. Well, again, why should that surprise us? 12-year-olds as opposed to preschoolers would drive you to drink, huh? Especially teenagers. I'm surprised they didn't do teenagers. That'd probably be like 90%. Next one, hold your wine glass, Pragers. American men and women agree, 65%, that women should not drink wine while pregnant. While 35% believe it's okay to drink wine on occasion when you're pregnant. And again, I've said this on the show before. The general consensus is that a glass of wine a week or even two a week is not going to hurt you or the baby. This is, you know, different studies and surveys and everything. Uh Next one, boomers are drinking more wine than millennials. How about that? Boomers are twice as likely to drink wine four or more times per week, 15%, than millennials, who only drink it 7% on that frequency. Next, no post-workout wine. Here you go. 78% of people think drinking wine post-workout defeats the purpose. But... Men, 24%, are more likely to unwind with a glass of wine after working out than women who only 
drink and that survey said it's only 20% said they do. People prefer their wine at home. 65% of consumers prefer to drink wine at home versus only 35% who mostly drink wine at a restaurant or bar. Hmm. That just seemed like an interesting stat to me. When I first read that, I'm thinking 65% prefer compared to 35%. Seems like most wine drinkers will drink wine when they're out. My brother and sister-in-laws are wine drinkers at home, and when they go out, they always end up getting a bottle of wine to enjoy with the meal. It would just seem odd that they would not. And so I'm looking at that. Women are toasting with Toto. Toto, too. Women are twice as likely to drink wine at home with a furry friend, pets, not hairy husbands, than men. 11% of the women will drink with their pets as opposed to only 4% of the men. Click, ship, and sip wine from online. 10% of consumers buy wine online while 21% would purchase wine online if they knew more about it. So there's something. If you're in the wine industry, put more descriptions about the wine. It could be worth your while. How much is that wine in the window? majority of wine drinkers spend less than $15 on a bottle of wine for themselves. 66%. And between 15 and $25 when gifting a bottle of wine, 40%. Women, 53%, are more likely to re-gift wine than men, only 43%. Re-gift? Women, what's wrong with you? Re-gift? Give it to your husbands. Let them have it. I guess that could be classified as re-gifting, though. As one of the top online wine retailers... We already knew drinking wine is a huge part of American culture, so we wanted to shed some light on consumer habits. This is, said Jessica Kogan. This is Cameron Hughes, wine co-founder and chief digital officer. This survey helped us dig into juicy opinions on wine. For instance, in other countries, drinking while pregnant seems to be the norm, but it's interesting to find out what Americans really think about it. So... There you go. Interesting little survey. I got a kick out of reading that. I thought that was fun. Uh, Cameron Hughes Wines. um, Consumers can be drinking a $100 bottle of wine for less than $30. So check out the Cameron Hughes Wines or visit chwine.com. chwine.com. That's Cameron Hughes. And we are done done for this week. I won't be with you next week because I am having some... (laughs) (laughs) Wrong wrong sound effect. Where's it at? (laughs) (laughs) I won't be with you. I'm having some dental work done and so I'm I'm afraid that by Thursday I'm not going to be able to speak and so on. Oh! Another trivia. I just looked over and saw it here. Let's do another another trivia. How about a Danish? The, this kind's not for breakfast, though. Danish, amazingly enough, now makes, or Denmark, Danish, Denmark now makes wine. 
For most of its history, Denmark was simply too cold to produce wine, and throughout the 1990s, anyone crazy enough to try would have been prohibited anyway, since wine production there was forbidden by the European Union. To control an oversupply of wine that might drive prices down, the EU legislates which European regions can produce wine and how much. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. But in 2000, the EU lifted its restrictions. Good. And Skarsgård wine made their debut. One of the most northern vineyards in the world, Skarsgård, is owned by Sven Mosgard, a pharmacist. And while it might seem that this far north only white or sparkling wine would be produced, Mosgard also makes a Beaujolais-style red. How does he do it? Global warming over the past few decades means that the growing season in Denmark has been extended by a few weeks. That warmth, coupled with long periods of daylight during the summer and fall, Denmark often experiences sunlight until 11 p.m., is a bone for photosynthesis. Scandinavian Chardonnay, anyone? So Denmark, Denmark wines. That's interesting. Congratulations. Yes. So... Next week, I won't be here. Uh, Mike can come on, conduct the show. Oh, share my extensive knowledge of, uh, of uh, what's the topic again? You can do it. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, your, your, uh, your audio is cutting in and out, Ron. I couldn't hear you very well. <laughs> Um, yeah, wow, crowd's even laughing at that idea. <laughs> so, what? Um, so we'll we'll probably uh, be gone next week, and we'll pick it we'll up gone. after. Yes, after we're uh, gone. Second week in August. Oh my gosh! August the ninth. I know it's gone by so fast. Um, yeah, August the ninth. Then there was there was when you were talking about the. Um, um, the corkscrews and the alternatives and all that. I was, I mean, I was doing the notes on everything, and I kept, I put a bunch of question marks on it and things that I need to try because I, I cannot imagine how that is. You said it's easy to get a, a cork out of a bottle with a, a string. I, I have to try that because I'm, I don't think I've ever put one in a in a bottle, but it would be interesting to see how, yeah, how that actually how that actually happens. And then it's a little small string, not a real thick one, a little small mm-hmm. string, tie a knot on the end of it. And actually, a, a, a double knot probably works a little bit better. So it like a gets like a kite score. string, like 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 the ball of string no, that you that can thin. get. From... Not that not that okay thin, not not that thin. A little bit, you know, a kitchen string. I mean, it, I don't know if, if that's the type that you would type that you would tie uh, twine type you tie meat on a package with that that oh, type wow. of string. Okay. I've always referred to it as kitchen string because, you know, we yeah. see them in the kitchen using to tie, you know, <laughs> things together and stuff. But but that type of string, tie, tie a knot on the end of it, drop it down into okay. the bottle, and put let the cork come back up into the neck of the bottle and settle into it. And mm-hmm. then pull the string up hard to catch the bottom of the cork and bring it up. Now, if you don't catch it, you'll pull it up and, you know, it won't work. But, but right. you know, and it might take a couple times but it works it actually does and what we had at the winery was a little was a little metal not not metal but 
Yeah, it was metal. The little metal thing, you drop down into the bottle, and you grab a hold of the cork. It was like three prongs. It, <laughs> something, something like these things where you drop your quarter or 50 cents into and you try to grab a, a toy and take oh, it yeah. over and drop it. A claw. Yeah, like a claw. A claw. Like a claw. Yeah. Only just okay. three things on the end of it. You go down and you grab the cork, and it was thin enough around the side to want to hang up in the neck, and the cork is pliable enough, and you just pull it right out. Well, the string trick works about the same way, you know, and so wow. you can do well, it that I'm way. I'm about to try that. And probably, yeah. probably if, if this works as easy as, as you make it sound easy enough, I'm going to package it and put a little label on it, and I'm thinking... <laughs> <laughs> I think in 1995. I know where you're going with this. Good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Be on Shark Tank. <laughs> That's right. Be on Shark Tank. Do it there. You know, start selling it. And saying, then you can always say, yeah. this has been, you know, this has been uh, tested by uh, these scientists and it's been in the working lab. Mm-hmm. Barn. You know, and Absolutely. you can just, you know, you know, yeah. and, uh, ramp it up. And, and, uh, you know, you know recommend it about mine, and, 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 you know, you can just, yeah. yeah there you yeah. go. I uh, like it. Infomercial. I, I can see this being a 30-minute infomercial easily. Um, cool. And then the other one was to uh, to get the cork out. You said something about uh, wrapping the bottle in a towel and tap the bottom of the towel on a hard surface until the cork pops out? Yeah, right? tap the right bottom of right? the bottle. Yeah, and it, pu- just, it pops out. Why would it pop out yeah. if you're hitting the other end of the of the bottle? Because I the pressure, it. it slowly it slowly works the cork out. Same principle is is hitting the bottle up against a a wall or taking your shoe off and hitting the bottom mm-hmm. of the bottle with your with the heel of your shoe or it, it's all the same principle. It's just the, the pressure in there slowly starts That's working amazing. the cork out. And you can wow. you know work the cork out that way. I never never thought there was enough uh, enough to be able to do that because those, those those corks are pretty pretty much in there. Um, they're pretty they're pretty and, solid. Some corks are a lot harder to get out than others too. You know, yeah. it just it just depends on the corks and all that. But some some are really hard to get. I had people come into the wine all the time and say, "Have you ever taken the bottle uh, cork out with your shoe?" And I go, "Yes, I have." And they go, "Oh." <laughs> just like, you know, they thought they were teaching me something. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> obviously, you're obviously you're holding the the bottle upright because if that cork pops out and it's upside down, there goes your wine, right? Because it, it's going to go yeah, you're holding it up. Okay. Or maybe you're or, pushing it far enough you're, until yeah, you know, just tap it, tap it until the cork comes out. Like I said, a little over a half the way through, and wow. then just grab a hold of it and pull it on it with your hand. Yeah. Um, don't don't do with with any any sparkling wine or any effervescent wine or anything because the mm. pressure will cause it to shoot, and uh, <laughs> you don't want to do that. Like yeah. champagne court. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. Well, I, I have the two prong one. Uh, actually, I got it from uh, the winery. I got the two prong, and I've been using yeah. that uh, all the time. I love it. That's easy. Yeah, it is. That's, that's my that. favorite by far. Yeah, I yeah. think so too. And it does destroy the cork, and it's just easy and you never right. have a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, you can use it with just about every type of cork, and you know, that's yeah. my favorite. Yeah. yeah, it has really, really been a big plus. Still, still use it, and there, it's it's great. Yeah. Um, so, and invent that. My, it's already been invented, and probably patented it everything. Yeah, um, my my original my original one like that I had for so many years, 
until I finally broke off one of the little prongs that was down on it. I went to put it in the bottle and the side broke off. I almost cried. I mean, I had the thing for so many years and it was, and I broke mm. off one of the prongs. So, but wow. yeah, they're great. And my, yep. my favorite opener is the, the two prong, the, the Osso, yep. like Salvi used to call them Ossos. I don't know why yep. I had this, but the Osso. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. Very interesting. Um, so we will uh, we'll see everybody in uh, two weeks on August the 9th and uh, thanks for tuning in and hope you enjoyed it again if you have a topic or anything of interest you'd like to know about uh, or a comment or anything you can email the show at any time all about wine 101101 at gmail.com that's all about wine 101 at gmail.com it's also on the website go to all about wine btr Dot com and you can there's a contact us and all that kind of stuff there so go ahead and do that and uh, contact the show and uh, appreciate you listening and uh, we'll see you all in two weeks thanks a lot have a great uh, yeah. two weeks <laughs> great two weeks thank you all for listening <laughs> thank you we'll see you <laughs> bye this concludes tonight's broadcast of all about wine on Blog Talk Radio with your host Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archive shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. All About Wine.